0: Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. Stout Industrial Technology collaborates with customers to build and launch industrial technology solutions that are designed to last. The Smart Cultivator combines a proprietary, agriculturally proven mechanical platform with Stout True Vision technology to eliminate weeds and cultivate ground in a single pass. Visit stoutagtech.com. That's S-T-O-U-T-A-G-T-E-C-H dot com to learn more. Welcome to this episode on agtech in Israel. I've been doing these episodes based in different regions. I've done them for Brazil, South Africa, Australia, and last week, Singapore. It varies how difficult it is to get the right people on zoom and produce an episode. It mostly depends on my relationship with people. If I don't know people very well or at all, it can take up to three months to get three to four speakers. Well, Israel broke the mold on that. I know a few of the speakers from prior work and they got back to me right away and everyone had a suggestion of other people who should be on the podcast. So suddenly I had eight people. Unless you are Tim Ferriss, no one is going to sit through a two hour podcast. So I decided to do two episodes on Israel. I think this can be attributed to both the amount of ag tech coming out of Israel that everyone knows everyone else due to the size of the country and just how outgoing and willing to talk people are in Israeli ag tech. So get ready for an exciting episode about an exciting region. Israel has long been famous for growing food in the desert and inventing cherry tomatoes. Its current agricultural achievements are no less impressive and dozens of innovative ag tech and now food tech startups are developing innovative solutions for the world. Precisely because Israel is a small country with relatively few natural resources of its own, it has stressed the development of forward-thinking, highly advanced agricultural solutions. In this episode, we will hear from a great variety of experience and technologies. First, Oded Distel will talk about his time at the Ministry of the Economy and Industry and also his new startup with a solution for water shortages. Oded gives a great overview of how government helps the growth and success of the ag tech sector in Israel. We will also hear from Ohad Zuckerman, Managing Director at Copia Agro and Food Technologies Fund. After Ohad, we will hear from two companies with great solutions for the produce industry. So let's get started with the conversations. We have with us Odette, and I want to talk to you about your company, but also I want to talk to you about your time with the Ministry of Economy um, and Industry. And so you've got a very long career in both on the commercial side and also on the government side. And so you're uniquely positioned to talk about um, what's happened in Israel in technology and in agriculture. So why don't you start just telling us a, a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. Hi, Roli. So first, a uh, pleasure uh, being here uh, with you here today. Um, I'm a follower of the podcast and a great pleasure to be talking to you today. Um, so as you said, I had a long career in the Israeli government, uh, seeing things from the uh, uh, macro uh, point of view, uh, looking at the industries. Uh, water industry, the agro industry, from that perspective. And uh, recently, about a year and a half ago, I uh, left the government after 23 years there, moved to the private sector, and I'm the CEO now of uh, Talia, a small agro company. Uh, The transition is fascinating, Uh, looking at things from a totally different point of view now. Uh, and and I like it, makes my life interesting.
0: Great. Yeah, that is that is different, the, the different types of things that are necessary to run a commercial company. Um, so in yeah. this episode, um, I'm focusing on agri-technology development uh, in Israel and how the ecosystem has evolved. From your background, it looks like you've had a big hand in developing the ecosystem through bringing foreign investors And support from multinationals. So, please talk to us about your work at the ministry and how that's helped agtech.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about uh, the technology, so everybody immediately think about the the tech side, new stuff, cool stuff, uh, algorithms, automation, and on and on and on and usually people ignore the fact that uh, in order to bring a technology to full implementation to the market it takes a huge effort from the entire ecosystem to work together in order to make it happen and uh, the ecosystem concept means that uh, we work together with all the all the different players the government, the regulators, the investors, the academia, startups, NGOs, obviously farmers, water utilities, and on and on, and try to bridge the gaps between all those different players, uh, different which is uh, relatively a very tough challenge. Uh, in Israel, we have a lot of... Uh, things that play uh, in our favor. One, obviously, the place is small. So yeah. it's, it's really easy to get around and to, to, to interact and to meet the people, almost on a daily basis. So if, if I, uh, my, my office was in, in Jerusalem, at the ministry, but I could be there in the morning and then uh, go to Tel Aviv for uh, for a meeting and end up in Jerusalem uh, back in the evening for a meetup. And and, and same goes with the Beersheba and Haifa and the entire country is in in, in, a, in a distance of a few hours of driving, which means that uh, you are able at the end of the day to say, okay, I know the ecosystem. Uh, Meaning, I know the people, not not something theoretically. Yeah. I know that my I, I have everybody on my iPhone. You know, it's it's speed dial to almost all the CEOs of the companies and the main researchers in the academia, and I can uh, ask questions and get answers immediately and connect the the, the 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 dots in no time, which I think is is pretty different to. Uh, uh, a large country like the U.S. or even a medium-sized country or relatively big compared to Israel like Italy or France or whatever. Second, it's the, uh, the local culture in Israel which uh, uh, people tend to, to interact a lot, a uh, relatively warm, open culture. Uh, and, and we have a lot of opportunities to interact as well. So there is the uh, the army service that everybody mingles together, Uh the university, and so the ability to bridge those uh, gaps between uh, groups is much easier uh, in Israel compared to other places and eventually the fact that uh, we didn't have any other choice. We had to come up with solutions to those challenges because we we simply could not do otherwise. So we had to to come up to solutions to water challenges. We had to grow uh, food in a desert. We had to come up with uh, uh, processes that would allow us to use, uh, to do much more with less resources. So all those combinations together created a very uh, dynamic uh, society and culture that uh, pushes uh, forward all those concepts of uh, innovation, of uh, thinking uh, out of the box, uh, of uh, trying to do something, fail, and try again until you make it. Um, So I would say the combination of all those elements together created this uh, uh, interesting place that brings a lot of innovation in agriculture, in water, in medical, in cyber, in whatever.
0: So a lot of the things that are developed (laughs) in Israel, like you said, it it is a small country and you do have a lot of agriculture there, but it's it's not a big country. So when, when companies are formed, do they form with the idea that they're going to need to go global? That they'll need to be global companies? Is that the in the thinking of the formation?
1: Sure, from 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 day one, and uh, sometimes it's uh, you know people exaggerate because uh, they would uh, start a company and the two founders would argue if they go want to go IPO in uh, in <laughs> London, you know they didn't do anything yet but they. <laughs> They find something to argue about. So the the answer, but is definitely yes. Everybody uh, uh, look uh, looks at the the local market as a as a as a test bed, as a pilot place, uh, play around in the sandbox, and uh, very at a very relatively very early stage, uh, move globally. Uh, obviously, the fact that. The world is so close now. Even you know, even the time of Corona, you could uh, be in a conference in the morning in India and then end up in somewhere in Chile afterwards with the Zoom call. So, uh, and and it's quite uh, common uh, in the Israeli culture for some time now to 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 be uh, very globally to, to interact with uh, different cultures, languages. Uh, people from from all over the world. Uh, So a long answer to say big yes.
0: And with the financing, I mean, I know a number of the ag tech um, VC companies that are here in the States have made investments um, in Israeli companies, even very early stage. And is that is that normal? Does the financing often come from outside the country or do you have a, a lot of, of uh, venture capitalists and, and private money that goes into companies in Israel or, or both?
1: So the VC industry in Israel started somewhere in the 90s. It's a a very interesting story because uh, it's one of those cases where uh, the government did something positive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Yeah,
1: (laughs) and we we keep coming back to this uh, story, (laughs) he's very happy with it. So somewhere uh, in the early 90s, the government identified that uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, startups and entrepreneurs, uh, that uh, the lack of uh, financial resources is uh, the main obstacle that prevent them from, from growing. And the government initiated a program where it said to the private sector uh, we'll put a bucket of money, you'll put a bucket of money, you'll make, you manage the investment. <clears throat> and in some time, we, we, the government, will give you the private, op- the private uh, sector, the option to buy us out. Oh. Buy the out, <clears throat> and then it started. Uh, uh, so there were at the beginning uh, five small VCs that were uh, partially uh, owned by the government and the private sector, but the private sector was the one to manage it. Uh, <clears throat> Make the long story short, it was a huge success. At a certain point, uh, the private sector bought out the government. And the VC industry went on from that point, uh, uh, going very fast uh, forward. So the, at the present, uh, the VC industry in Israel is local VCs, uh, foreign VCs represented in Israel. Uh, Israeli VCs that raise money from abroad, uh, mostly uh, U.S., Canada, but recently also a lot of money is uh, coming from, uh, from Asia, China, India, Japan, uh, etc. And uh, obviously the recent uh, trend is uh, uh, a lot of interest from, uh, from, from, the, from the Gulf, from the United Arab Emirates uh, that we see. Uh, and also Europe, not to forget Europe. So it's, it's a very uh, competitive, uh, interesting market. And uh, you'll hear different things, you know, from, from the point of view of the uh, startups, you'll hear that the VCs are very conservative and they don't take risk and they don't invest enough and they uh, just uh, look for the easy investments and they don't go to very early stage, et cetera. From the VC side, you'll hear, ah, oh, not enough uh, option, not enough uh, companies and on and on. But I assume it's the same discussion you hear in uh, in the Silicon Valley and you hear in London and in all those uh, centers of uh, innovation. And and usually it's, it's a game. Sometimes you have a lot of uh, uh, competition over the money and sometimes uh, money is competing over uh, cool startups.
0: Interesting. Um, so what what do you think that the ecosystem needs to continue and grow and prosper in Israel? Is there anything? I mean, it sounds like you've got money coming in from a lot of different places. You've got government support. Is there anything missing or anything you'd like to see different to, to keep things growing as fast as it has been?
1: So uh, the government also has an important role uh, and, and the government has to... Um, interfere, or not to interfere, but to be a partner where um, I would say the other different players would see a more narrow uh, point of view, more narrow angle, and the government has to have a broader perspective of, of things. And in a way, this is what I did when I was in the ministry, we have created, or we, we have foster this uh, ecosystem uh, around the water technologies and the same concept was then implemented in in other sectors, including uh, agriculture. So I'm I'm a very uh, strong advocate for this concept of uh, working in ecosystem and providing the the opportunities for the uh, entrepreneurs to interact with regulators, And, and, you know, it is fascinating because you realize that they speak different languages.
0: Mm -hmm. They can end up talking past each other, right?
1: (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. We had a meetup and we called it a a regulator on the bar. (laughs) We brought the the important regulators from the uh, uh, Water Authority, from the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Environment to meet uh, Israeli water startups. And at a certain point, I realized that I need to interfere and translate. Uh, In the language of the uh, regulator and the language of the uh, entrepreneurs, because they they did not uh, speak the same language. mm -hmm. Obviously, they speak Hebrew, but it was not the same language. Yeah. So I, I, you know, the, 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 if you give the regulator the only opportunity to meet a startup when they have to uh, take a very bold uh, decision to uh, allow a new uh, cool technology to enter the market and they have tons of uh, responsibility on their shoulders and they have to be to take it all upon themselves, the chances that uh, they are going to be strong enough to, to take uh, uh, to take a, de- a courageous decision is not big. But if they have met the uh, entrepreneur a year before and they have interacted with him and maybe they went to see a small pilot that the guy had in, a, in the university and, you know, they, they build confidence and they build a trust relation, the chances that at a certain point, this guy might say, okay, I, you know, I, I feel that I'm on the safe ground. I can take a little bit more risk with this technology is much greater. And in a way, this is the, this is the, the idea. Same goes with, the, with investors and with NGOs and to, to be able to, to connect uh, all those uh, players, And going back to your question, what is uh, in a way missing now? So the fact that uh, uh, so many sectors are now competing over uh, specific uh, capability or specific talent, uh, that has to to do a lot with the data and uh, the data scientific and and on, uh, makes those people uh, being torn in different sectors. They, they, uh, you know, the uh, financial sector wants them at the health sector, agriculture, transportation, energy, and on and on. So uh, the idea is how do we uh, open the door and let a lot of new uh, talent and people from, from other sectors that were not yet in the game until recently, in the Israeli case, it would be the uh, Arab community, in the ultra-Orthodox, and let those guys come in and, uh, and, and play in this uh, wonderful uh, field that uh, we all uh, like so much.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's true for the United States as well as that, you know, just bringing sometimes agriculture isn't the most exciting um, in people's minds if they didn't grow up around it. And so, you know, how do you get talent, um, both uh, people who live in the U.S. and how do we bring people from other places? Because, you know, we have we have a shortage of that talent as well, you know, because there's so much need yeah. in that area. So let's switch um, a little bit to your company. And as you've mentioned several times, water scarcity is a a very big issue uh, in Israel and becoming more so worldwide. And so what attracted you to go into uh, the private sector and tell us about the company and your product?
1: Perfect. Um, so after 23 years in the government, uh, which was a fascinating ride, and, uh, you know, as, as I told you, I, I did something that I felt like uh, I, I, um, I had a startup inside the government, which is, you know, totally crazy thing, but it was really uh, inspiring and challenging and, and very interesting for sure. Uh, and then at a certain point, I felt that, okay. Uh, Enough, I want to do something uh, different. I want to do something uh, totally different. And then, uh, you know, from my position, I knew uh, almost everybody in in the water, uh, in agriculture, in energy. And uh, there was this uh, small company that uh, I knew for some years that I, I was totally uh, in love with the, with the technology. Uh, and it was still at the stage where it was a big promise, but did not yet deliver. And then I said, okay, this is, my, uh, this is the mission. This is something I want to to take uh, forward, take a very small company with uh, a very simple technology. I mean, uh, Talia, what we do, we we create ideal microclimate to the root zone of young uh, trees. And by the way, we call the the product, we call it uh, Mitra, which is a wound in, in Greek. Oh. Uh, yeah, and and you know this is the way. Uh, this is exactly the way we look at uh, what we do to the to those uh, very young trees. Like we are like a, a mother taking care of uh, its uh, of her young uh, babies. Uh, so the the challenge here is, and it's a uh, you know the technology works agronomically. We know it works. We we, uh, we tested it. uh, And the beauty of it is that it works in a holistic way. It saves water, it prevents weeds, it mitigates uh, extreme weather conditions, uh, it protects the soil, it it takes care of of soil health, uh, soil erosion and on and on. So we're doing all this beautiful stuff in an extreme, extremely simple way because we work with nature. So, uh, or nature works with us, you know, it's a partnership. Uh, so this is the, uh, 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 the journey that I uh, choose to take after leaving the, uh, the government. So from this huge, big, uh, very bureaucratic, uh, monstrous organization, all the way to something extremely uh, small. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah, and this is the challenge. And, um, you know, I love it.
0: It's fascinating. I uh, looked on your your website and there's a video that shows and it's it's very infrequent that you see a video that that really without words, it it completely explains the product and how it works. And so that that's really well done and and really shows what the what the product can do. What geographies are you in right now? And and kind of what's the state of of rolling this product out?
1: Great. So in agriculture, as you know, uh, make better than than myself, things takes time. So it is a slow process to introduce uh, a, new, uh, a new product to the market. So we are working in, in India and in India, we have a, a collaboration and partnership with the very strong local players. Uh, so it is a Tata Trust and Tata Coffee and Syngenta Foundation. And uh, those organizations are uh, aiming at improving dramatically the smallholders uh, segment and increase their uh, income. And because uh, Talia and the Mitras are uh, very modular, meaning we can be implemented in an extremely large uh, orchard in uh, California or Australia, and we are totally relevant to, for a small holder with uh, maybe uh, one acre. Uh, it is uh, behind his house. So we work in India, and we had some uh, extremely nice uh, pilots there growing uh, tomatoes and uh, some kind of a local zucchini, uh, Indian zucchini, uh, with with wonderful uh, results and. We are now moving to the next stage. Uh, we have a very nice pilot in uh, New Mexico uh, with the New Mexico State University. With ah,
0: uh, that's where I went to school. <laughs> ah,
1: nice. <laughs> uh, wonderful people. Uh, and uh, <laughs> such a joy working with them. Uh, Professor uh, Manu Shukla uh, is, the, is running the, this, uh, this pilot. So it is with the pecan trees. And the, uh, we learned that uh, pecans are a great, uh, great place in the local uh, economy in, uh, in New Mexico. And at the same time, they have a very serious issue with water shortage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, take a lot of water. So uh, the, um, the promise that we made is very, very attractive. The only problem, again, it's going to take time uh, to get results. So this is New Mexico. We are working uh, in in Mexico uh, and in uh, Australia with wine yards. Um, so, yeah, di- different uh, geographics. We are looking for the, uh, where uh, situation is tough. Where, where things are tough, then we, uh, our contribution is, uh, is significant.
0: Great to hear that broad perspective of what is happening in Israel. Now we will move to hear how investing is working in Israel at Copia Agro and Food Technologies Fund with Ohad Zuckerman. Copia invests in agricultural and food technology projects in Israeli R&D institutes and by hands-on management and in cooperation with strategic partners that bring them to maturity. Copia has several interesting business models on getting technology to market quickly and less costly. Ohad has a great background in management and international business with a long career in ag and food, which gives him a great eye as to what they should invest in and develop. Please tell us about yourself, your background, and Copia Agro and Food Technologies Fund.
3: Sure, so um, I'm 57, soon, in July, Uh, and Copia is my third career. I started uh, working uh, in a family company, a seed family company that my father founded back in the 50s. Um, It's called Zarain Gadera. It was actually purchased, acquired, first by a a fund, a private equity fund here in Israel, and then by Syngenta, it's now part of Syngenta. Uh, Then I moved to uh, aquaculture, um, and I uh, initiated a company that uh, deals with microalgae. Uh, Today, the company has a a face mask for microalgae, uh, starting to uh, uh, do all the uh, commercialization. Copia is my third uh, and hopefully last uh, career. Um, This is really an amazing uh, uh, fund. We have uh, great uh, uh, achievements so far. I meet amazing people every day. Um, I'm an agronomist by profession and my business, and I have a business degree, a joint degree from Tel Aviv University and the Kellogg School of Business from uh, Northwestern. And uh, actually these two things of agriculture and food and business come together in, uh, in, in Copia. And uh, the good thing about Copia is that uh, it's not just making money, it's really an impact fund that also tries to do something good with the money.
0: So what does being an impact fund mean to you? What, how do you act differently than if you weren't an impact fund? And how does that color your investments and, and how you look at different businesses?
3: Okay, so first of all, um, Copia invests in agriculture and food technologies that uh, um, do something good to the uh, food supply chain from the genetics to the plate. Um, we're trying to improve the sustainability by mitigation of uh, uh, climate change and uh, food safety and food uh, uh, security. And so all our technologies Uh, are doing something that either uh, changes from chemicals to biologicals or improving the um, processes of food production um, or improving the shelf life and the quality of uh, food and uh, uh, things like that. And we're talking not about the fruits and vegetables, but also livestock, uh, welfare, for example, about uh, fish production. So we are really involved in all aspects of food. And the, the impact is really to in, increase sustainability by replacing a, a product, uh, or enhancing uh, processes and uh, enhancing, of course, yields and, and productivity. Another thing as an impact fund, and this I think is very, very interesting, doesn't have to do anything with technologies. Um, we invest in two main avenues. The main avenue that we invest in is uh, in technologies originating from Israeli research organizations and universities. We find technologies that pass the proof of concept stage. We team up with companies from the relevant verticals and we change, and we transform these technologies into products that could, could be sold or processes that could implement and improve sustainability. And of course, uh, uh, this is done in a very serious way. We create a team between us, the research team in the research organization or university and the company that is doing the development and commercialization later on. So we finance the research part and the companies do the income investment by uh, uh, funding all the development and commercialization. Um, In addition to that, we also invest in startups and the startups are uh, all more into development than research but they complete our portfolio. So that's one thing that we do from the impact point of view. Another thing which is very interesting that if you look at the technologies in which we invest in research institutions, about 60 65% of the technologies are led by women researchers. However, when you go to the startup world, it's completely ruled by men, 99%. Yep. And you know people talk about gender equality and this is something that I personally believe the gender equality in life will come from gender equality in business. So this is already now the second year that Copia initiates and uh, manages a competition for women entrepreneurs in agriculture and food. And uh, the second the uh, um, uh, competition is going to take place on uh, July 6th, on June 6th. It's going to be uh, live uh, in the internet as well. And I think this is another aspect of the impact that we're trying to do as a fund, not only by the uh, technologies in which we invest, but also the way that we do business and the way that we promote the
0: uh, industry. I really love hearing that. I'm speaking on a panel in a couple of hours um, about women in agriculture. And uh, so I've been doing some research and just looking at you know what it looks like in, in the startup world this is in the U S and this is across all startups, but we're going backwards. You know, this 2020 has been a a bad year for, for women in in business period. But, This year in 2020, um, 2.3% of the startups funded were women founded down from 2.8%. So we're, we're a little better than 99% uh, men, but (laughs) not not far. So I, and, and you have to, you have to do it on purpose. So I love that you're really paying attention to that. And that's, that's really exciting. That's great. Um, uh, the other thing that, that struck me in what you said is the part of pulling technologies out of universities. I think that's really interesting. Um, it's kind of like the flagship model here in the U S, um, flagship, uh, pioneering where they, they look for technologies and then build a team around it. And it, it's a very different model. Have you found that to be equally successful to the, you know, startup entrepreneur model, or is it's just a whole different model?
3: It's, I think it's much more uh, efficient because if you're a startup and you want to establish a company, you need to invest huge amounts of money, millions of dollars in building a team, getting by, you know, laboratories, uh, making trials, uh, doing formulations, uh, go to registration. All these things are, they uh, cost a huge amount of money. If you go to our model, The research is done by the institutions that are very well equipped and they have amazing uh, teams there. The development and commercialization is done by companies that have all the facilities, all the know-how, all the market knowledge, and they do the the, the other part of the equation. So if you're able to connect these two and to create a fluent process, then you save huge amounts of money and you're much more efficient because the best people uh, in every domain do what they have to know. the the researchers do the research, the companies do the development and commercialization, and we are doing the uh, uh, connection. Usually these two entities, business and academia, do not speak the same language. Just to give a simple example, take the issue of IP. Um, Researchers usually are promoted because they uh, 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 publish uh, uh, articles. When they publish, you cannot write a patent. So mm-hmm. there is always yeah. an issue: when to publish, should we publish, what we will we publish, and so this is something that always creates tension. If you know how to handle it, and you create a win-win business, so we speak both languages. We know how to speak with researchers. We know how to speak with the industry, and this is a, a, and we created a smooth process, and we know exactly how to uh, uh, differentiate between R and D to create a very, very uh, coherent process. (laughs) So basically, it's it's more efficient, uh, both uh, uh, financially and also from the operational point of view. Uh, So far, we have 26 investments in eight different uh, organizations here in Israel. And in addition to that, we also have two startups. So altogether, 28 investments in the fund. So we have uh, six project leaders, people that are uh, industry professional freelancers that work on an hourly basis plus success fee. And they manage clusters of uh, uh, technologies like crop protection, um, uh, food quality, um, uh, aquaculture, genetics, etc. And uh, they report to us. And uh, this way our span of control is very well kept and managed. So that's, that's a, a unique model. We don't really build startups around the technologies, but we create cooperation with the industry and we act as a bridge between academia and industry and it works fantastically.
0: Oh, I see. So you're not, you're not forming a company necessarily around the technology, but you're, you're bringing the technology to companies that already are involved in that space
3: yes and no we do establish a special purpose company for every technology which is the vehicle through which we make the investment in the research institution uh-huh. and we do all the business development with the academic with the uh, industrial partners so there is a special purpose company for every technology and uh, this is the way we manage it i see i
0: see um so how do you see you've been really involved in the ag tech ecosystem and um just in the time that I've known you, that it certainly has changed and, and grown. So how do you see the ag tech ecosystem has grown in Israel in the last five years?
3: Okay, so first of all, we have a lot of uh, uh, startups, much more startups than we had in the, in the, in the last uh, like five years ago. More food tech than ag tech. Huh. Um, uh-huh. Yes, uh, tech ones, I guess. So I'm, I've seen so many thing, more even ag- though even though even though we do have uh, enough ag there is a lot of food tech, and the, the growth is mainly in food tech. And um, uh, I think that uh, the majority, if not all of them, address the uh, happy and uh, not so hungry world. Uh, while the ag tech companies do also address both the uh, uh, hungry world and the not hungry world. So from my point of view, um, first of all, there are many more uh, companies. Second, more funds. And in Israel specifically, there is a new vehicle for investment, which is called R&D Partnerships, which enables institutional investors to invest in uh, the public entities that's invest in startups. So they do not invest directly in the startups, they invest in the R&D partnership. And through this, they get uh, involved in, in, in small companies because they will not move for 10, $20 million. They will move for much, much more than that. Um, so um, in addition, yeah, And in addition to that, the last thing is that you see more MNCs, more multinational companies coming to Israel directly. They have representations here, they do scouting here, they invest here. And they are doing a lot of good work um, by um, helping the startups to focus uh, more on what the industry really needs. So these are the main four things that I can tell you that happen. More companies, more investment vehicles, um, and more MNCs, and of course, um, the uh, uh, partnerships, which is a new thing.
0: So what do, what technologies um, in the ag tech side do you see that are the most industry interesting and promising right now
3: Well, I think that uh, there are a lot of uh, things that are going on um, I cannot tell you on one thing which is specific because usually these are trends um, and, yeah. and and it's difficult to talk about trends uh, because uh, you know, if you listen to the same interview two, three, four years down the road, maybe what you hear is is old-fashioned already. So I think that uh, I would like to address something which is uh, from our point of view as a fund that deals with a lot of projects and technologies is very, uh, is is important. Um, When we go to uh, change from uh, the Chemical to biological products. Okay, let's talk about, for example, crop protection or uh, enhancement of uh, quality of uh, fruits and vegetables and things like that. Then we come into the issue of formulations. And the formulations are something that uh, big companies usually used to do. And slowly, slowly, when the startup started to go into the business, then they found the need to do that, and today you have companies that specialize in formulations. This is something that is really missing in the industry: uh, the expertise of creating uh, formulations for biomaterials. Um, I think this is very important. So that's one thing that I would like to you know to point out. However, if you talk about trends, I would say that in uh, food, it's all the. Uh, 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 protein substitutes, both plant-based or uh, cultured meat. Uh-huh. And when you talk to, and when you speak about agriculture, it's precision agriculture. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about uh, protein substitutes, I think that um, uh, plant-based is, is here, okay? Um, and uh, it, it's a matter of taste and honesty, whether you uh, think it's the same or not. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is uh, um, the cultured meat, It will take time. However, I think it's important. Nevertheless, until it's there uh, and commercially available and affordable, um, people still need to look at uh, the real uh, meat producers and not neglect them. I think it is important, even though we're an impact fund and we look at the environment, still there is a a world that you need to feed and uh, it will take time until the uh, real meat substitutes, like culture meat, uh, will be uh, affordable and uh, commercially available for everybody. Um, so, regarding agriculture, I think that precision agriculture is a buzzword, uh, and here um, again, I've got some things to say. I think that um, it's really nice to see the the, the way that high tech comes into agtech. However, um, I met many many companies, and each one tells me that they will increase the yield by 15 to 20%. So let's take, let's take two or three like that, or let's even take five. So the poor plant will have to bear more and more and more fruits because if each one is right, then it's going to multiply the fruit. So it's ridiculous. It's impossible that everyone will do that the same the same time. So first of all, it's very difficult to measure the incremental real contribution of every technology, that's one. Second, due to that, it's very difficult to create a a business model that is real and affordable to the grower and also good enough for the company. And the third thing is, think about the poor poor grower that gets 20 notices to his cell phone from one in irrigation, one in fertilization, one in crop protection, one in weather, one in like this and one in like that. And he doesn't know what to do. So eventually, I think that two, three, maximum four players will uh, be the ones that will purchase the best of breed from each one and unite them into one uh, solution. And they integrate the knowledge and the understanding and will come with a, a daily a recommendation or a periodical recommendation to the grower. And this will take time. And it, but I think this is where the industry will go. So as investors, we are very careful and we're looking at this and we still didn't find a, a, you know, the one that really can unite uh, all the uh, uh, inputs from all the small startups that everyone has a wonderful solution. And uh, we cannot still know how to measure precisely and to have a right business model for them. So it's, I, say, I, I think that, that people are, are are rushing into it without giving enough, enough thought to it, but, but certainly it will happen. it's there. And uh, uh, I believe that uh, eventually there will be three to four major suppliers of, of these technologies uh, all together to the farmer.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, of course, we're seeing the same thing in the U.S. too. It's just you, know, you can you can see a, a grower with you know, fifteen different dashboards, and none of them speak to each other, and it's really difficult to to really act on those decisions when everything's coming in separately like that. So I think it's really important that we we find some platforms, you know, that support all these these different tools.
3: Just to tell you one thing, you know. Um... I think that uh, if you look at our portfolio, uh, there are a few things that I think may be interesting to um, to tell you about. Okay. Uh, first of all, one of our companies is called to bee deals with the bees industry as you know, the bees are disappearing mm-hmm. and there is a huge issue with the bees because they they are the major pollinator of uh, food crops um, the main. Cause for the disappearance of viruses and certain mite that causes direct damage and also transmits the the vector of the viruses into the hives. It's called the varroa mite. And uh, this is the number one problem of the bees industry, the bee industry. And one of our companies, To Be, has a solution to that. And we see this as one of our major contributions in the future to the industry as a whole. That's one. The second one is Post Boost which uh, it's a material that uh, enables to enhance the color, the taste and the shelf life of uh, fresh uh, fruits and vegetables. It's sprayed before harvest. It's an amazing material. And the last one, which I think is important is breeding uh, specialty items, uh, personal water, especially personal melons, musk melons that uh, are going to be a a personal size and with edible rinds and with, soft seeds, so you can eat it as an apple. Oh, These are three very, very interesting things for the PMA uh, members. And there are two more technologies, more on the production side, which I think are interesting. What is called Soil Fender. It's a replacement of uh, all the chemical uh, uh, and not so environmental friendly uh, 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 crop protection uh, uh, materials that are used for soil uh, disinfection before sowing and planting. Uh, this is an amazing material that doesn't harm the bio, bio uh, uh, the, bi- the microbiome or, uh, in the soil, but it does kill uh, weeds, noxious weeds, nematodes, and uh, fungi. Uh, for example, also the Panama disease, the uh, fungi Fusarium. So, this is an amazing uh, product. Another one is called Badup. it's uh, to uh, break the dormancy of uh, buds of uh, uh, fruit trees. It's an amazing uh, uh, product, less toxic than Dormex, dramatically, not toxic actually, and uh, uh, safer and also does a, a better job. Uh, we have very good trials in the States and in Mexico, and uh, we believe this could be a very good uh, product for uh, uh, American and uh, South American growers. Uh, so this is just some examples of the things that we have in the fund that are very relevant to the uh, uh, ag food, uh, agri-food industry.
0: Thank you for that. So people wanted to find out more about the companies. Is it um, are those listed on your portfolio page on your website? Yes,
3: uh, I think that uh, Superfruiter, the one with the melons, is not yet there, but uh, all the others are there. And uh, one more thing, you know, um, as investors on now, but in the past, I was I, I managed companies and I was, you know, working with the with investors and. and working uh, in agriculture. uh, I think that uh, it's very important that uh, uh, when people go to raise money, um, they will have the right team in place because investors invest in people. They do not invest in a technology or in in, in a market because technologies can change and markets can change and trends are trends. And it's very important to have a team. So the entrepreneurs, usually come on by themselves and we tell them, listen, you need to come with a complete team that eventually, or at least partial, that will uh, uh, show us that you understand what is needed and that you have the right team next to you because we do invest in people. Always a good idea with uh, uh, an excellent team will do much better than an excellent idea with a poor team. So, mm-hmm. as an investor, I can tell you that we do invest in, in people and I hope that uh, there will be more women in the people we invest in
0: Next, you will hear from two companies in Israel that are using groundbreaking technologies to solve problems in the produce industry. Raviv Kula, founder of Fruitspec, provides yield estimates as a service based on hyperspectral machine vision technology. And then I will talk to Alad Mardix, president of Clara Fruit, a company addressing food shrink with an automated QC platform. So tell me about yourself and your company, please.
2: So my name is Aviv. I'm a venture in the high tech industry for the last 22 years, mainly coming from communication, uh, managerial role of uh, product management, product marketing, marketing, sales, business development um, in uh, in the industry. About uh, four and a half years ago, um, I sat down with a friend of mine for the last 25 years and we talked about hyperspectral technology that we believe that the potential is only scratching the surface of uh, being used and um, we, we debated among ourselves what we can do with this uh, technology. And uh, Neil, uh, my friend, and now my co-founder, um, he's a citrus grower. And he said, look, uh, we, in the place that we live, uh, there are two, there are many citrus growers, but uh, Shachar, which is the third co-founder, and I keep asking ourselves, how do we know how many foods we will have this year? And we sort of uh, testing uh, hyperspectral technology to solve this question. And um, we tried um, two different technology and failed. But then the third one was Uh, uh We found the technology. Um, we know how to see green foods
0: uh, at the early stage of the season. How and- long did that take, those uh, trying the two things and then finding the one that worked? How long did that take? <laughs> Since we're dealing with food, so uh,
2: you have a season and you have to squeeze everything. That's agriculture. You have two months. (laughs) You don't have much more than that. Yeah. Um, It it was about uh, three months, four months. It was very difficult to get the equipment. Um, But then, um, you know, once the third one was uh, uh, successful, I called my wife on my way back and I said, look, we have everything that we need. (laughs) We're going to win the market. Uh, the technology was so um, uh, profound that we can use it, and uh, this is um, this is how we started FoodSpec.
0: That's a great story. So, what kind of insights do you give your clients? Um, and you're you're solving the problem of yield, right? That's what you're the information that you're getting. And and how do you work with clients? And how do they get that information?
2: So we started you know, with counting the number of foods, but then we found out that nobody cares how many foods they have. They speak about carton, they speak about weight and not the number of foods. Of course, the number of foods is a, a fundamental component in this equation, but um, you need to know what the customer needs. And we found out uh, first that the segment that we should um, target is the uh, packing houses and not the grower because the value that we can bring them is much higher. And then um, after solving the issue of uh, how many fruits, we found out that uh, this uh, problem of uh, not knowing how many fruits, it's actually lead to a much bigger problem of yield management. How do you manage the inventory of the fruits that you have in your orchard? What are the tools that you need in order to do that? And we found out that nobody is doing that. I mean, there are some ERPs in the uh, packing house, but they are doing some invoicing, uh, transportation, shipments, and so on. There are some farm management on the other side. They're doing the agronomy side of the, of the business, but nobody is linking the um, um, orchard to the marketing. And um, we form... <coughs> Um, um, The the marketing name is the food intelligence uh, platform that we provide yield management uh, to our customers, meaning um, accurate data on how many foods they have, what is the weight of the foods, what is the weight going to be by the end of the season. So how many carton per size they will be able to pack uh, from each orchard and on the aggregated level, what they will be able to sell. And we can provide this information in citrus variety, six to seven months before picking, in apple stone fruits, uh, three to four months before picking. This is crucial for the um, profit and top line uh, for the packing house.
0: And it's a service, right? You don't have to sell anyone equipment. You go into the fields with your own equipment. So that's how it works, right? Yeah, that's
2: Exactly. In any um, um, territory that we are serving, we have um, a local team that uh, have our systems, have our vehicle, and it's a service. So the, the customer does not have to bother with uh, um, um, buying the system, learning how to operate it, and handling everything. We are coming, we scan, we go. The customer see the results through the uh, web portal um it's um, it's very transparent uh, this operation to the customer.
0: And what other crops do you work in uh, in addition to citrus?
2: So um, um, we work in a citrus, apples, stone fruits, grapes. Um, we have plans to expand this year into um, continue with the packing house into berries, um and some other food types but also for tropical fruits for uh, we have a very innovative solution for bananas uh yield management um uh, pineapple papayas um so we are expanding the technology um, roughly is the same I mean as the same as the patent that uh, uh that we got but um, it's it is agnostic to any type of food. But uh, the implication of how to do that and how to plan forwards Mm. um, is something that we have for any food type um, separately. Um, And as I said, we're currently targeting for this year to go for bananas and uh, pineapple tropical foods, but also expanding what we are doing uh, to
0: pomegranates, um, um, berries, um, and so on. So it sounds like you're working outside of Israel then if you're going into... Tropical fruits. <laughs> so, what what
2: geographies well, I mean, are you in? <laughs> I mean, in, in Israel, uh, the ethos of Israel is uh, being uh, <laughs> agriculture, but um, um, the country is small, um, and there are not a lot of um, um, export coming out of Israel for uh, fruits. So uh, we we look at it as a kind of a lab that we can test a lot of things that we are doing. Uh, this week, we done some uh, cherries and berries over here in Israel. Um, so we can test our equipment, our uh, artificial intelligence models over here. Um, and we, are, um, we have offices in the U.S., um, in California, the Central Valley, um, Chile. Um, two offices in South Africa, one office in Spain. We have a minor operation in China. But um, this year, we are going to expand and open at least um, two other offices uh, during this year.
0: Wow, that's a very wide spectrum. so this particular episode that I'm talking to people on is to kind of focus on Israel and, and what the ecosystem is like there and what it's like to do a startup there and and the benefits. And so um, you live there and that's where you're from. So it makes sense that you would start a company there. But um, what's the the ag ecosystem, the ag tech ecosystem like there? And has there been good access to funding and has it been a, a good place to start a company?
2: It's... Um... It's an ecosystem, it's not just a system. Um, There are some um, communities that um, assist um, forming uh, a company, uh, knowledge, connection. Um, In Israel, it's very uh, wide and people do not hesitate to introduce you to either customer or to um, high level connections. Um, So it's very, um, I can, Call every day to three, four, five CEOs of, of other startups, and tell them, look, I have a problem over here. Can you? Uh, um, how do you solve it? Okay, um, either financial or uh, something that is specific to the domain that uh, that we are doing. Um, it's very common to do that. So the ecosystem is uh, um, is very open and helpful. Um, the, it, the access to funding, um, it's, uh, it's changing. I mean, uh, from the day that we started uh, the backlog in the end of uh, 2016, which was very difficult and only a few uh, funds or investors were available to invest really in hug space. Now it's a much more wider um, um, community, investors, um, and, you, and you can see, you can see the forming of uh, big companies, uh, companies are going into the C and D um, 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 rounds, um, you know, with uh, 200 people, 500 people in a, uh, in a company. So the, the industry is maturing uh, step by step.
0: So to most companies that start in Israel they most companies must start with the idea of this is a good place to start but we have to be global for this company to make it is, is that kind of the thinking does anyone start and say i'm, I'm going to stay in i'm a israeli company and i'm going to serve the israeli market or are most people thinking i'm going to be broader and be a global company
2: i think that 100% are looking to be global mm. and um, uh, I've got customers in the U.S. that have um, around um, uh, ten thousand uh, hectares. I mean, it depends in acres; it's different. But uh, yeah, um, the overall citrus uh, um, um, bearing land in Israel is about one. Uh, it's about fifteen thousand uh, hectares. So, in comparison, to, um, you need big customers, and you need to prove your technology uh, is working outside of Israel. Um, investors are looking for the international reference and not just uh, it's working over here in Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, I must say that the the, um, acceptance from um, the customer, from the client point of view is quite the same. It's whether that you are a very small packing house or you are a huge packing house, they're always willing to hear what you are saying um understand and um test it for sure so it's not um um israel is not um different from the rest of the world in terms of attitudes toward uh, um technology um the the scale is uh, much lower
0: yeah. That makes sense. Well, there's such a great um, education system there, and amount of talent. Um, you know, I've worked with a number of, of companies over the year, more on the biology side and agriculture. And it's just, you know, the universities are fabulous, and so there, it's a wonderful breeding ground for sure. You know, to for these types of companies to, uh, to then go global.
4: I'm Alad Modik. I'm the president of Clarifruit. And uh, together with my two partners, Avi and Ruby, we actually established Cloudfruit about uh, three and a half years ago. Um, And just maybe a a word about how the idea came up. Um, Cloudfruit was born actually primarily through my partner, Avi, uh, who's really the product visionary of the company. And he used to work for uh, HP for about 10 years uh, before establishing CloudFood. And at HP, he actually ran on the R&D side the world's largest automatic testing product uh, for the software world. Uh, He's also coming from a farming family background. And in about 2017, he had a very interesting observation. And the observation he had was that software and fresh produce are actually very similar. I know oh, it I may can't sound wait funny initially.
0: How that is.
4: <laughs> there you there you go. Uh, <laughs> if, you think, if you think about it, both software and fresh produce are merchandise whose quality is changing on a daily basis. Oh. It's very unique as, huh. as opposed to an iPhone or a chip that's coming out from a foundry, and the minute it's being produced, the quality is fixed. It's very different for both software as well as fresh produce. Now, 20 years ago, HP has invented automatic testing for the software world because they recognized that the supply chain of software distribution was very inefficient and they needed to apply an automatic testing concept to this uh, industry. Avi recognized that actually the fresh produce industry, which as we all know, is a very long, complex and inefficient supply chain Mm -hmm. will benefit enormously if there was an automatic testing concept applied to that supply chain. And that's really how the idea was born. Uh, Clarifruit has essentially developed um, an automatic quality control platform for the fresh produce industry. Uh, Essentially what it means is we developed software that has two components. Component number one is a mobile application that you can use on any smartphone that exists today in the market and actually allows you to perform a quality control inspection of your fresh produce in an automatic way through computer vision technology that we have developed and have patents on and some other integration that we have. And even, and more importantly, we have um, a web app, the management and analytic dashboard that generates in real time uh, data and insights that really are not available today in any other platform.
0: So you have customers all along the supply chain. Can you tell us about your different customers and what problems you're solving for them?
4: Sure, so first let's start actually, who is our target customer? So. If you think about it, across the supply chain, from literally the grower down to the front store of the retailer, there are about 10 to 12 points today that people already perform a quality control uh, inspection on a sample basis, right? Between whatever, 0.5 to 2% of the supply that's coming in. It's already being tested today, just in a very manual way, with very limited data. What we're doing is automating this uh, um, inspection process and effectively the entire supply chain who's performing uh, those tests are going to be our customers. We started about two years ago going to the market and we focused on the marketing companies, the guys in the middle, the packer shipper Mm -hmm. uh, that works with all of their growers on the um upstream and sell to the retailers and wholesalers downstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have expanded in the last actually six months downstream to the wholesaler and the retailer segment. So today we effectively work with the marketing companies downstream to the retailer. Um, the the pain point that we are addressing is uh, multiple. And it uh, also depends on, on, on the segment that we are interacting. With. But if you think about it on a high level, uh, the biggest pain point, and I'm talking dollars-wise, right? The biggest pain point is the rejections that are taking place in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Based on information that we've seen, the average supplier in the market um, is, is suffering from about 7% financial loss as a result of rejections. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the automation that we have with the with the AI and computer vision technology and the digitization that we're allowing there are all tools. There are tools in order to do two things. Number one, help the supply chain to reduce the rejections that they are experiencing today. And number two, give them real-time data so they can make better decisions, uh, like who is the right guy to sell to, where should they ship it based on shelf life prediction, and effectively help them maximize, I call it the wallet opportunity with the customers that they are interacting with.
0: That's a great amount of information that can really help things move through the supply chain much better. Um, so, which crops are you working on and focusing on? Just any anything that moves through the supply chain, or are there particular crops that you focused on?
4: Okay, so um, maybe I explain just before I go there. Uh, explain for for a minute um, the uh, the solution that we offer. Uh, we our platform essentially can digitize. Any fresh produce category that exists in the market today, digitize means that, um, let's say you are a, a retailer who has 275 fresh produce categories. We can essentially upload all of those categories on our platform. So you can digitize the entire quality control process and the quality standards that you are using, right? So your inspectors, wherever they are, don't need to actually use pen and paper, Excel, or in electronic form anymore. Everything is gonna be performed through the mobile app. Now, we have developed our own computer vision technology to be able to analyze external attributes like size and color and stem color automatically. Through algorithm, uh, we're just taking a picture from the smartphone. And this solution today is already commercially available for 10 produce categories. Uh, Started with table grapes. Then we went with tomatoes, uh, stone fruit, cherries, bananas and pineapples, uh, as well as the citrus uh, family and apples. So altogether, we have about 10 produce categories that are already automated. We're going to have 10 more uh, added to that automation capabilities uh, within 2021. Uh, And I expect that within the next uh, two to three years, we'll get to the vast majority of the volume, which is about 45 produce categories.
0: So you truly are a global company working across the supply chain of wherever the food's going. Where where in the world are your customers? What different uh, regions are you working in?
4: Um, So about two years ago, when we really started to go uh, global, we actually, our first international customers was Gasex or Hasex in Spanish, uh, which is in Chile and is is, is the world's largest exporter of stone fruits. Uh, one of the top five in grapes. Um, so we started really in Latin America and we have a very strong presence there today across Chile, Peru, and uh, Mexico. Uh, we then expanded to North America, uh, both in Canada as well as in US. Um, but I, I, I would say that probably the, the, uh, the strongest market for us has been Europe, uh, where we work with multiple uh, very big uh, marketing companies uh, as well as a retailer.
0: And do you have people, do you have offices there, people on the ground in these different areas, or are you able to do it all from Israel?
4: So good question, because the answer would have been very different um, in March oh. the last year yeah. before the COVID. Um, so, so today we, we actually have offices uh, both in the Americas, um, you know, North America and in Latin America, as well as in Europe. Um, they usually, those offices include sales team, as well as operation and a team that essentially helps with the initial implementation. But what's interesting is that in the last year, especially you know between March to uh, to December in 2020, because of COVID, we worked with customers globally. Um, and I'll mention just one of them, for example, we, we just started to work with Dole International. We're doing all of the QC for Dole's uh, pineapples, Um, bananas, and and we'll do the other categories as well. And the entire uh, implementation process for for Dole, which took about four months, has been performed totally remotely. So we do have the local operations uh, to honestly help close the loop uh, quicker, uh, but we have demonstrated the ability to actually implement very complex projects with very large customers uh, in a total remotely way.
0: Mm. So this episode um, uh, on the podcast is focusing on Israel and there are an amazing number of ag tech and food tech companies uh, that have started in Israel and and most of them are global. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's such a good place um, to start companies and and why are there so many good companies that have uh, launched there?
4: So uh, I think the answer here is twofold. from a technology perspective, Israel is is probably in the top two uh, ecosystems in terms of technology entrepreneurial. Uh, number one is probably the Silicon Valley, and, and Israel is, is right behind it. So, Israel is a is a leader within technology entrepreneurship and development in any technology sector, right? Not necessarily agri tech. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is a result of the. Uh, nature of the people and the I think a lot of the uh, culture related uh, attributes that people are uh, growing into here. Uh, specifically for the ag tech and fresh produce in our case, um, I think I think there is uh, to be honest, the local supply chain here, let's say within fresh produce has a much higher or stronger propensity for technology adoption than you would usually find for other fresh produce players in the supply chain. So I just think it's easier to get your first couple of customers here, like the uh, beta product and, and check it with them and refine the product initially before you go out of the world. And people here also on the supply chain side would be receptive for errors and mistake and they understand how it works. And that's that's I think the uh, the important underlying mechanism that enable a new technologies to flourish out of Israel.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't I haven't heard that point of view before, but that makes a lot of sense. So, what new technologies do you think are still needed in the produce industry at this point, and uh, do you see those being developed?
4: Yeah. So. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of new technology that I can think of for the entire supply chain, obviously. But I'm, I'm going to focus on technologies which are related uh, to the uh, to the quality, which I think, again, quality is important in any business, right? But uh, as I mentioned before, in the fresh produce supply chain, it's 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 more important than anywhere else because the quality actually changes on a daily basis. So it's really tricky to be able to measure it. Uh, I think two things are very important uh, that should happen over the next three to four years. Number one, uh, I would like to see the, the, the digitization trend really taking off uh, across the entire supply chain, not just in specific silos in the retailer, for example. It really needs to go across the entire supply chain. Uh, and we have seen, by the way, a huge acceleration of that mm-hmm. since June, so June last year. And the reason I think it's important to happen is because if we really wanna be able to figure out the shelf life prediction accurately, right? In order to help in reducing the waste in this industry, the only way to figure out shelf life is by having a digitization and collaboration of data across the entire supply chain. One silo having the information is not gonna do the work. So, so that's one thing that is really important and I do see a bunch of other uh, startups and companies uh, uh, attacking this digitization neg- trend from different places. And I'm really hopeful that uh, we're all going to be successful in convincing the uh, the suppliers and the retailers that this is going to create a lot of value for these guys. The second the second new technology that I'm hopeful um, will, will be relevant to the supply chain is hyperspectral technology. Okay. So... If you remember, I mentioned that we developed our own computer vision technology to take pictures and analyze automatically external attributes. Uh, the technology that is uh, it's being performed on is, is the cameras that we all have in our you know iPhone and Android devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can only measure external attributes today, right? Including defects, but only external. The holy grail would be that you, Vani, will take a picture and it will be able to analyze not just the external attributes, but also the bricks or firmness, acidity, Mm -hmm. pH, because then you're actually gonna be able to analyze the entire quality of the food or vegetables and get a grade instantly. And when that happens, our technology is gonna be applicable not just to the professional supply chain from the farmer to the retailer, but also to the consumer. And I think when we get this hyperspectral technology, which by the way, already exists, it just costs between fifteen dollars to $20,000 per camera in the sorting machines. <laughs> Might need to get the cost down a little. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but and people are working on that. and But I, I think it's probably going to be in the next five years when we start getting this technology into the camera of our smartphones. And at that point of time, what the way it's going to play out is you're going to be able to pull up the cloud foot app from your phone, go to the supermarket, and before you buy this uh, blueberry, or watermelon, you just take a picture and Ah. you'll get instantly the quality grade and the shelf life prediction. And that's going to be a whole game changer for the industry in Mm -hmm. terms of waste reduction. But again, we're going to need hyperspectral technology to get to the smartphones. And that's probably four or five years away from us. So today we're focusing on the professional supply chain, automating the QC process uh, in the com- with the combination of their uh, industry devices like refractometer and durometer, uh, but really the vision is to be able to do it for everyone down to the consumer as soon as we can get this technology to the smartphones.
0: Wow, such wonderful conversations! As I mentioned at the start, I had so many exciting companies to talk to in Israel. I'm doing another episode. Look for the next episode to drop in a couple of weeks. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time.